Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. An Erios production. Menopause is coming and the men have all left town. But I'm not giving up until I see that baby crown. 39 and single. Can someone help me out? He could be bald and bearded, shorter or tall. Funny, smart, love basketball. Gay, straight, black, white. Welcome back to Spermcast Season 3. I'm so sorry I left you for so long, but I needed to recuperate, and now we have so much catching up to do. So that's what this episode is all about. I'll catch up all the new listeners on what they've missed, and then I'll catch everybody up on what's been happening for the last three months. Here we go. I'm Molly Hockey. I'm an actor, writer, comedian. I'm 40, still single, and I have always wanted kids. So I started Spermcast, my quest for a sperm donor and some personal growth. In season one, I interviewed 19 potential donors. On a scale of one to 10, what would you say your interest is? I would say five. I think I might be like a one. Seven, five, four. Three. Right now, I'm at like an eight or nine. I unfortunately will have to withdraw myself from the race. <laughs> Say like a 9.9 or Hell yeah! Yeah. I'd be a 10. Oh my god. Wow, of that's course. so that's nice. really nice. Two. <laughs> wow. But I wasn't just on the hunt for semen. Oh no, I also wanted to learn. I talked to doctors, surrogates, egg donors, children of sperm donors, professional donors. I had five men do home sperm tests. I talked to a financial advisor, sort of. Fucking do you, girl. I don't fucking care. I mean, I'm going to walk out of here and know my interest rate. <laughs> I talked to a tarot card reader. The Nine of Swords is really, it's a difficult card. It's a card about being in your head a ton and about kind of getting tortured with the expectations that you have in your head. I talked to a shaman. It's almost like this podcast has become like a meditation, meditation for you. Yeah. You know, it's like, it's like this grounding thing that you check in with once a week where you're focused on this aspect of your life. It's like that kind of work and engagement with yourself and your spirit and your kind of mind-body unity and all that stuff. I even got topless with three witches. It is in motion and it's happening. And it is no mistake that we are here sitting before you and midwifing this initiation that you are walking into. I explored some other perspectives, too. I mean, did you know that there are actually people out there who don't want kids? I mean, the truth is I've never had the biological urge. I've never actually felt a ticking clock. Child-free child 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 free. Child free by, by choice. choice. Child-free by choice. Um, when I think about having a kid, I don't feel good and happy. I might be a little anti-kid, to be honest. Wow, If okay. I'm very honest. Yeah. yeah. The idea of being the kind of parent that I did not enjoy to somebody else makes me feel sick inside. It just seemed like less of a personal goal and more of a societal thing that I thought that I was supposed to do. 
I also got into lots of sexy science. The testicles, you know, if you want to get into it, have really two oh, jobs. Let's get into it. I love it. <laughs> so when your cervical mucus looks like semen, you're in a good place. Fertility is becoming a a big problem. It's a huge industry, but nearly everything in a space focuses on women, despite men being responsible for half the cases of infertility. And the placenta is an organ. No. So you're building an organ no. in addition to a baby, in addition to your whole body stretching to like new sizes it's never been. Now all of this may seem fun or at the very least interesting, but I'll tell you what, this road has been hard to travel at times. In the early days of my journey, my 15-year-old dog Benny passed away and I was distraught to say the least. That coupled with the emotional distress of addressing my lifelong desire to have kids and letting go of my desire to do it the traditional way, well, let's just say it took a toll on my mental health. I began to have panic attacks. I hadn't had a panic attack in 15 years. Now here I was, 40 years old, a grown ass woman, afraid to get in an elevator and too terrified to get on a plane by myself. In fact, my mom had to fly to LA to fly me to Boston for a job. Embarrassing. It also had me questioning if I should even have kids at all. Since I was familiar with panic attacks from my college days, I knew how terrifying they were, so I sought help immediately through therapy and medication, and soon I started to feel better. And then, in October, laid up in bed with a broken leg, thank you basketball, I experienced a shift, and I finally realized what was most important to me in the world. My baby. It was all I'd ever wanted, and I was done questioning it. That's when I chose two of my guests from the podcast and asked if they would seriously consider doing this. There was Zach. Let's say if you were a top contender. Yeah. How would you feel about that? Would you would you be okay with that? Of course. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Cool. And there was Alex. Well, I'm trying to figure out what to do, and I yeah. I, I kind of want to gauge where you're at. Like, are you still in the same willingness zone as you were before? Yeah, no, I mean, it's like a constant, like, you know. Long story short, they were both on board. I had them do semen analysis, STD tests, and genetic testing. And miraculously, they were both perfect candidates. And since they were both so open-minded and neither of them felt weird about me using two donors, I decided I'd alternate each month. When I finally had my ducks in a row, it was time for season two, the insemination. I had to get naked. I thought it was more spiritual. <laughs> Never has an insemination been more awkward. They're like, wait, you're single and she's single? Why don't you guys just have sex? I could feel the opening in my cervix. Really? Whoa. Oh my god. I just used a, sh a syringe. Turkey Ew, no. That's what do you so mean painful. that's what you do? My <laughs> While you guys are doing this, I will be masturbating. In the <laughs> it's only right. Yeah. Well, I'm an, I'm an ingredient, you know, in your recipe. Okay, listeners, this feels like the specula is in there. I'll be honest, this is making me very squeamish, so I've left my body. Yes. I've never seen semen in a cup either. Can you hold one of these mics yeah. while I put the syringe in? Yeah, sure. It's all just about love, really, you know what I mean? Did you know that when you do a home insemination, the man should hold off from ejaculating 48 hours before he gives a sample? And that they have to come in a cup and that you have to draw it into a needleless syringe and then, well, put it inside of you? And did you know that for best results, you should inseminate three times in 36 hours to increase your chance of getting the timing right? I had no idea it was going to be so complicated. 
and neither did my donors. There was one time I sent my donor to the bathroom to do his deed, and I forgot to give him a cup. So when it was time for him to, you know, ejaculate, he grabbed the first glass that he saw. It was my pee cup, the cup I'd been peeing in to see if I was ovulating. And he came in that. Yeah, is that contaminated? Yeah, that contaminated then? it, right? I don't know. I wonder. Another time, my donor had left and I had just placed the semen inside me when I heard my Airbnb guest trying to get into my house. He was using the wrong door. So I jumped up and ran to the door with the syringe still in me. I had to pretend everything was normal while talking to this guy, while praying the syringe didn't fall out from between my legs and onto the floor. I got a lot of laughs out of these home inseminations. They were insanely ridiculous and awkward. And afterwards, I experienced some of my highest highs. I was finally trying to get pregnant. These were moments when I was literally fulfilling my life's purpose. Anyway, I just want to say I'm having a great time. I'm really um, loving this whole experience. It's been so fun and filled with love and everybody's been wishing me luck and they're all so excited for me. But I also experienced some of my lowest lows. Because after each insemination came the... Two-week wait. I just feel like the more I let myself want this baby, the less likely it's gonna be that I have the baby. Like, the more I want it, the more I'm jinxing myself. <sighs> because of the other big things in my life that I've really wanted that haven't happened. God, it's really... What the two week wait is really hard. <laughs> what the hell is the two week wait? It's the two weeks after you inseminate while you wait to find out if you're pregnant, and it sucks. Every physical sensation is a symptom. Sensitive nipples, a mild headache, milky white discharge, an itch between your toes. It's a constant battle of is it or isn't it. And a constant battle of trying not to be too hopeful because you know the statistics, but also your areolas are definitely getting fucking bigger. We're in my bathroom. I'm sitting here trying to debate whether or not to test if I'm pregnant or not. Because one, I'm scared of the results. And two, I'm just scared of the results. <laughs> I peed in a cup and I dipped the stick for a few seconds. Now we have three minutes. Oh God. I don't think anything's gonna happen. Fuck. Yeah, I'm not seeing a second line. Second line would mean pregnant. And then when you take that pregnancy test and discover you're not pregnant, you feel like a fucking idiot for every moment that you let your mind think that you might be pregnant and you realize that if you pay enough attention, you have a slight headache all the time and your nipples are just sore because that guy wouldn't stop biting them. Oh man, it's still not showing up at all. Fuck, balls. Okay, we're over a minute and a half in and there's nothing, no second line. Fuck me. Now we're at two minutes and 16 seconds. Fuck me. Fuck me. I really thought that, like, I thought maybe that spotting that I had today was, was like, implantation happening. But it's probably my period. Why is my fucking period two days early? Okay, that's three minutes. I don't see any pink second line. Oh, bummer. Not pregnant. Fuck. Fuck, fuck, fuck. Two weeks later, I used donor number two. It was the holidays and we were both on the East Coast, so I met him at my brother's house in New Jersey. 
Do you want any coffee? No, no, no. Okay, should we? Do you want to just go explore the basement and 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 talk about the game plan here? Yeah. I got my headphones. You got the the. Oh yeah, we have contracts. We should probably. Do those first. He gave me three samples, all twelve hours apart, and then I sent him on his merry way. And then another two-week wait. Almost as torturous, but not as bad. I'd settled into the reality that even though I am a superior human being, the stats still applied to me. At 40, the chance of pregnancy is only 2 to 5% per month. If you try for 12 months, your chance is 50 to 64%. And now with my lowered expectations, the negative test results that I got two weeks later were not so heartbreaking. Just another step on this fucked up journey. But then... Donor number two said he couldn't donate anymore. He realized after his first insemination that this just wasn't the right kind of thing for him to be doing at this point in his life, and I understood. Luckily for me, I had donor number one, and he reassured me that he wasn't going anywhere. Now, since I hadn't had my fertility checked in three or four years, I decided to visit Dr. Kalen, who, it turns out, is the coolest fertility doctor around. We did some tests, and... So here's your over in the right. Look at all these follicles. Fantastic. Hell yeah. Now I've gone over all the fertility vocabulary in other seasons, but for the newbies, here you go. Follicle. F-O-L-L-I-C-L-E. An ovarian follicle is a fluid-filled sac that contains an immature egg or oocyte. Basically, every egg grows inside a follicle, and when it's time for you to ovulate, the follicle will release the mature egg. The number of follicles you have growing at any given time is a pretty good predictor of your fertility. You're a champion here. Turns out everything was looking pretty good down there. So now it was time for cycle three. By this time, I was an old pro and everything went off without a hitch with, you know, donor number one. And then, of course, the two-week wait. I was becoming an old pro at that too, so when I got my negative result, I was fine. I had another visit with Dr. Kalen to discuss my options, and he wanted to make sure I didn't have anything blocking my fallopian tubes, so he suggested I get a hysterosalpingogram, or HSG, where they pump this radioactive dye into your uterus, and they watch it on an x-ray to see if the dye goes all the way through the fallopian tubes, but an unofficial side effect of pumping fluid up there is that you can actually clear out any blockages, and sometimes pregnancy is more likely to occur right after an HSG. So I did it. And everything looked great. So now it was time for insemination number four. It went off without a hitch too. But a lot of weird shit happened right after. I got such a bad yeast infection that I had to go to the gynecologist and she just put me on monostat. But she also told me that my cervix was bruised from the HSG and I had all this intermittent bleeding and it was a goddamn mess. And honestly, there was no time to worry about the two-week wait. So when I took my pregnancy test, I was, well... Very pleasantly surprised. Yep, I was pregnant. I confirmed it at Dr. Kalen's office with a blood test, and then another blood test. My numbers were good both times. The plan was to come back at six weeks to look for the fetal pole, the yolk sac, and listen for the heartbeat. I knew the risk of miscarriage at my age, 37%, so I tried to temper my expectations. But since I was so open about everything on the podcast, and since I think it's a shame that women and couples have to keep quiet for 12 weeks and sometimes have to experience miscarriages in solitary, I shared openly about being pregnant. Are you serious? Are you kidding? No. Wait, really? Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. So Molly, at the moment, you are pregnant. 
Seriously, so whether it works or not, you know you can, and if it, it doesn't stick, it's going to you next month. Pregnant! No exaggeration, I was happier than I've ever been in my entire life that I can remember. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. Who knows? Okay. It's not a test. The point is I was really happy. I was finally getting what I'd always wanted. And that's something that doesn't happen to me very often. Of course, this time around, I didn't have any pregnancy symptoms, no morning sickness, no sore nipples. So when I went in for my six week ultrasound, I was a little nervous. Right now, I expect to hopefully see something in your uterus. Like me too. Like a little sack. I hope so. Um, and then there's some things we hope to see inside of that sack. Dr. Too. Kalen could see the gestational sack, but he couldn't see a yolk sack. It's okay, I'll be okay if it's not, if there's nothing there. Well, I mean, you know. I think that mentally we should be prepared that, that it may not. I would, I would be very pleasantly surprised if we look next week and we see something happening. That week on my podcast, I read this little bit from my journal. If this little shell inside of me isn't the shell that my baby is going to end up in, that's okay. My baby's here, just waiting for the right little body. And my baby's so much wiser than me, and is like, it's okay, Mom. We're going to be together soon. Like, my baby is here, ready to go. Just trying on different, you know, outfits. <laughs> wow, I got myself sad. <laughs> a couple days later, I started bleeding, and then I had an ultrasound, and it was confirmed I'd had a miscarriage. Sadly, knowing the stats doesn't fully prepare one for being one of the stats. I was okay at first, but when you have a miscarriage, you experience a lot of hormonal changes as well. You're pregnant, and then you're not. I would break into tears out of nowhere. I was two people, one who understood that this was a natural part of the process, that my body was doing its job, that this was a positive sign that I could get pregnant, and another, much more negative person who thought, I'm never going to get pregnant again, I'm infertile, and I'll never have the child or family I've always dreamed of. Life is meaningless without someone to share it with. <laughs> it was so fun. Speaking of sharing, most people that have miscarriages have a partner to share their grief with. Oh, what I wouldn't have given to have had someone to spoon me and hold me. My lady friends offered, but it's not the same, y'all. What was really helpful was talking to my friends Jean and Brian, who had had five miscarriages before they adopted their son. The word miscarriage sounds the same way that period stuff sounds like discretion and uh, like mm -hmm. some weird thing where it's just like this awful traumatic thing. you deal thing. with privately. As opposed to blood and tissue and mm -hmm. a life ending. There's a change and hormones are released and blood and it's... Yeah. You need sometimes medical help to sort of like deal with that. So I went to the bathroom and it just so much to be, if you don't mind, do you remember? No, it, it, a please. lot of material just comes out, like so much stuff comes out and it's devastating. And then there's... To there's add insult to injury, when you have a miscarriage, you can't always just jump right back into trying again. You have to wait. Wait for your body to expel the miscarriage. Wait for your cycle to recalibrate. And when you're 40, every month feels like a further decline into infertility. Waiting sucks. So it really blew when I went in for what I thought would be the start of my next cycle and Dr. Kalen discovered a 33 millimeter cyst on my left ovary. And he said we had to wait a month for it to go down. <sighs> oh, and here's another big bummer, everybody. While I was pregnant, donor number one became unavailable. I know, don't hate him. Life stuff happens, y'all. But there I was, 
Not pregnant and no donor. Square one. Should I spend another nine months awkwardly begging all of my friends for sperm? Or would I just go to a sperm bank? Or maybe I should just give up. Instead, I decided to take a hiatus to heal and figure out my next steps. So now the newbies are all caught up and my OG listeners have had a nice refresher. Hey everyone, I've been on the go recently. Phoenix, Kansas City, Chicago. If you're like me and have a home but aren't always at home, you have an Airbnb. Hosting your home or a spare room is a very practical side hustle. If you live in a big game town, you can Airbnb your place for fans to stay in. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash boast. Sure. Now let's catch y'all up to real time. My big decision at this point was sperm bank or known donor. So let me talk about the pros and cons of sperm banks. Sperm from a sperm bank is high quality, and there's no gray area or question marks about parental rights. There's no awkwardness between friends, and there's zero jerking off in my bathroom. But here are the negatives. First, I don't want to pass on alcoholism, which is common in my family, and panic attacks, which I have personally struggled with over the years. And when you use a sperm bank, they can't do genetic testing for that kind of stuff. You just have to trust that the donor is being honest. Second, what would my kid want? Wouldn't they want to know who their biological dad was before they turned 18? Wouldn't they want to know where they came from? Won't they be mad at me for using a sperm bank? Third, if there's something wrong with my kiddo, I want to be able to ask the bio dad if this is something that they experienced as a kid. Whether it's bedwetting or obsessive compulsive tendencies, I don't want the mystery. But when I really thought about it over my hiatus, there was another reason at the root of me not wanting to use a sperm bank. A shitty reason. I realized that I just felt cooler having a known donor. Before, I had two healthy, handsome dudes willing to give me their semen and trusting me with their DNA. Yeah, I was still an old hag, desperate for seed, but at least I didn't have to go to a sperm bank. My ego was bruised and fucking pissed off that I couldn't find a man to be my partner in life and it didn't want to make another single concession. When I finally admitted that that's what was getting in the way, I was able to let it go. Having a baby was way more important to me than how I got my baby, and time was not on my side. So I hit up California Cryobank right here in LA. Their website was just like a dating site, but better. Lot less sexting. There were child and adult photos, detailed medical and family histories, voice interviews, and celebrity lookalikes. I reached out to California Cryobank directly and spoke with the VP of Communications, Scott Brown who helped me put to rest some of my fears about sperm banks. We talked a bit about the history of the company and some of the many locations they have across the country. Yeah, we recruit donors in New York, Boston, San Francisco, and Los Angeles. Uh, we also have our egg bank is uh, housed out in uh, Rockville, Maryland, and our stem cell bank lives in Tucson, Arizona. And your sperm is all in LA? Sperm is stored and shipped from L.A., but is collected all around the country. Yeah, yeah. Gotcha. Cool. I asked him, why do guys do this? I, don't, I think guys in general who are part of our program are proud of what they're doing. I think they think they're doing a good thing. Yeah. Um, I think they have an altruistic element to them. I won't say every single one of them, but it's not, it's not the kind of thing you're doing just for the money. You know, it's a lot of work, lot of basically. Work. Not the donating part itself, but... You know, all the background material and all the three generations of family medical history and the essays and the art projects and the recordings and the photographs and everything these guys provide to us, 
is a lot. We lose a lot of guys because they just don't want to do the work. And abstaining from, from... And abstaining, yeah. You need 48 hours between ejaculations. You know, so if you have a private life, a sex life, like, there's lots of factors that go into this. Yeah. Um, you have to come to our lab to donate, you know, once or twice a week. So if you have a job, if you're, you know, in school, I mean, you got to make time for it. It's a good way to do something good for the world and, and make a little money. And, you yeah. know, less than 1% of the applicants qualify. Yeah. Um, into the program. And so it's a pretty select few that actually make it. And I feel comforted by what you said. I know it's just you saying it. You could say this to everybody, but I feel comforted hearing that most of your donors, there's some sort of altruistic element to it. Although they're also, of course, doing it for the money, but they like the idea that they're helping other families. They do. And our coordinators. And that they're proud to be doing what they're doing. This was a full length interview with Scott, but I want to catch you guys up as much as possible in this episode. So if you want to hear that, you can hear it all on my Patreon account, patreon.com forward slash spermcast. Thank you, Scott. Best of luck. Bye. You too. Have a good day. Bye. You too. After talking with Scott, I went searching and I found some really hot donor daddies. You can hear me researching the donors with my girlfriends Amanda, Maria, and Melissa on my Patreon as well. It's bonus episode number one. And after days of narrowing down my search, I finally whittled it down to two guys. But then I discovered the California Cryobank doesn't test for Alpha-1, and I am a carrier of Alpha-1 antitrypsin deficiency, which meant... I needed to find another sperm bank. Ugh. I searched far and wide. Zytex, no test. Sperm Bank of California, minimal genetic testing. Fairfax, no luck. The only one I could find that tested for Alpha One was Seattle Sperm Bank. So I got them on the horn. Here's Angelo, the general manager. Hi. How's it going? Busy day, good. <laughs> First of all, a little info about Seattle Sperm Bank. All of these donors are self-described lovers of the outdoors. Climbers, hikers, camping, they all love bouldering. I was in heaven. That's a positive, but here's a huge drawback. No adult photos. Fuck. Yet another concession. So what I was going to ask was, since they don't have adult photos, is there a way to like call somebody at your in the company and who might know the donor and ask a specific question about a specific facial feature or something like that. Yeah, I mean, we, we've got a couple ways to address that. Yeah. Uh, we, we do free photo matching. So if you were to send in photos of um, yourself or some, you know, another person that you would like to have a, a donor match to, mm -hmm. uh, you know, including these are, of this photo, these are the specific characteristics I'd like matched. And in addition, I'm also looking for someone who's, you know, this tall or has is strong in athletics or strong in intelligence, etc. We can do all that kind of consultation. Uh, and we do that for free. You can just give us a call and say, you know, I'm looking specifically for uh, Roman nose, cleft chin, um, yeah. double eyelids, etc. Pretty cool. But then I discovered another drawback while on the phone with Angelo. When I was looking at California Cryobank, the donors I was looking at were ID disclosure donors, which meant that at the age of 18, my kid would get the full identity of the donor. But at Seattle Sperm Bank, the donors are open ID, meaning the child can contact them through the sperm bank, but the ID is not disclosed unless the donor agrees to it later on. <sighs> not what I wanted from my sperm bank, but I didn't have a choice. 
So, another concession. A question about the uh, medical history. When somebody's pretty, it looks like they've got like a clean slate, like they don't have anything on their parents and their grandparents for all those pages. Should I assume that that person has a clean history or that they can't remember or don't know anything about their medical history? All of the above. Yeah, okay. Uh, You know, some donors are just pure specimens. I mean, they have nothing wrong in their family. They have, uh, you you look at them and they just look like a Greek god. I mean, you know, yeah. And then there's other times where, you know, the donor might not know or or answer to the best of their knowledge. Yeah. But, you know, and in the end, I I would love to tell you that with 100% accuracy, I can confirm these things, but I can't. I can't talk to their parents. I can't talk to their grandparents, their sisters, their cousins, et cetera. Right. Um, So, you know, it's it's all self-reported and we do as much screening to verify as as we can between, you know, blood screening and infectious disease screening, genetic screening, counseling, things like that. But in the end, that part is is self-reported. Yeah, yeah. One of my reservations about going to a sperm bank initially was having to trust that the donor is being honest uh, in regards to things like alcoholism and uh, mental illness because these are things that you can't check with a you know genetic testing what do you do <laughs> yeah the, the best that we can do is you know ask them screen them for that question yeah you know during the physical exams uh, and you know because we, we, we do do uh, chemistries right so we check liver enzymes and things like that and uh-huh. alcoholism can be you know it won't always show up on a, a hepatocyte or a liver in, uh, liver enzyme test but it can especially mm-hmm. if it's chronic um, but physical exams you're looking for signs of you know heart rates blood pressure things that also can be affected by drug use or you know chronic alcoholism mm. and you know we do a background check as well so if there's mm-hmm. you know if there's a DUI on the record we'll know if there's uh, you know any time spent in a rehab facility we'll know in the end it's not 100% yeah what about psychological analysis you have a, a psychologist do anything yeah, so we have a we have a master's in social work who who does counseling for the donors and has the opportunity to walk them through the full implications of being the donor, mm-hmm. uh, what it mean, you know what it means. Your specimens are going to use. You're going to be contacted in 18 years, and then it also gives us you know on top of all the other screening and the background check that we do, it's another opportunity for our counselor to ascertain or do his best to determine the safety and soundness of the donor. Yeah. Okay. So I had to make some compromises, no big deal. No adult photos, open ID instead of ID disclosure, and what I feared about sperm banks in general, that you just have to blindly trust that these kids know their medical history and family history and that they're being honest about their own mental history and alcohol and drug abuse. Obviously not what I wanted, but hey, what makes blindly trusting a little bit easier is hearing their voices in the voice interviews and sort of analyzing the way they answer their written questions. And ultimately, that's how I chose my guy. Here I am with my friend Charlotte, who helped me make my final decision. What do you have? Your, you tell me your thoughts. <laughs> I'm getting emotional just thinking of it. Oh. I don't know. Um, he's so friendly and really eager, and he seems like a kind person. Very chatty. He has a nice voice as well. Mm-hmm. Well-rounded. Uh-huh. And what about, you know, wh- how he, what he was saying at the end of his interview about uh, why he became a donor and future contact? Uh, so the thing that made me emotional was the last thing that he said about he, how much he loves his family and he just wants that for other people. I thought that was really nice. The one thing is him being so young. And it seems like, yeah, he's open, maybe a little hesitant, but open to meeting in the future. But is he too young to understand what is actually happening? Or, I mean... But he said he's really um, 
He doesn't take it lightly. He doesn't take it lightly. That is true. Yeah, and you have to give the person credit for yeah, them putting in so much proud, time. Proud to, He's proud. That's a very nice thing to say as well. to be helping and be a part of it. He sounds so sweet. Yeah. He sounds like a very kind person. Yeah. Very generous person. <laughs> very generous. <laughs> very generous. God, I'm dying to play his voice interview for you but I'm afraid that Seattle Sperm Bank is going to sue me and then ban me from using their sperm and then I won't have any donor sperm available anywhere so I'm just I'll just describe him for you okay here's the staff impression He's a handsome donor with light brown hair and large, light blue eyes. His face is rectangular with high cheekbones, an angular jawline, a refined nose, and full lips. He's an impressive track and field athlete, which has given him a lean, athletic physique. He's politically active, confident, outgoing, and socially aware with lots of charm and leadership skills. Community building and social responsibility are the focus of much of his time and activities. We expect to see big things from him, and we're excited to have him in our program. He's 6'2", 187 pounds. His kid pictures are so cute. He's 22, which is a little bit creepy, but let me tell you what I loved most about this kid. I loved the way he filled out his profile. He was so thorough answering all of his questions. Everybody else had like one-sentence responses to all of these important questions, and his were all paragraphs. When asked to describe his personality, here's part of his answer. He writes, I try to be, and hope that I am, an emotionally intelligent, caring, and empathetic person that can recognize others' struggles and feels happiest when other people are happy as well. Why do you want to be a donor? I want to be a donor because I view it as an incredibly unique opportunity to give back to others. Being involved in the donor program may benefit me by helping me pay for some college expenses, and this was certainly part of my decision. But ultimately, I know that I have the ability to have a major positive impact on people's lives, and that is something that I really appreciate. Come on. And then at the end of the profile, it gives them an opportunity to write a handwritten message, and in his very cute handwriting... (laughs) It says, first, I want to say that I'm incredibly proud that I could help you in your journey to parenthood. I believe so strongly in the positive impacts of family, and I am truly grateful to be able to contribute, if only in a small way, toward enabling someone to build a family. Most of all, I want to say that I'm so happy for you and that I wish you all the best in everything that is to come. So, no surprise, I picked this guy. I bought two tiny vials for $1,500, and then I went to see Dr. Kalen, because it was time to get the show on the road. Um, right side, right ovary. Looks great. Okay, good. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine follicles. You got younger, I think. I think I got younger, yeah. Was your, did you have this many follicles before? I don't remember you having this no, many follicles. No, I had eight. Yeah. At the first time, then three or four or five last time. Yeah, that's great. Left side, one, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. What the hell? Wow. Okay, so we are, you're looking, we're looking great. Okay. So I think that we should give you some medicine to get you to release more than one egg. Mm Mm-hmm. It's called Clomid. You would start that today mm-hmm. and come back a week from today. At that point, you're going to have like two or three follicles that are growing. And based on the size of them, we're going to be able to predict when you're going to ovulate. And towards the end of next week, you're going to ovulate and then we're doing this. Okay. 
And you think that I should do a medicated, not unmedicated round? I'm just feeling a little more aggressive. Yeah. Okay, sure, but does he know that when you take Clomid, you have a higher risk of having twins? Um, and the, the, the risk of twins is a, about 8% mm-hmm. of pregnancies. It's pretty small. We'll have a much better sense that if you take a clomid and you just like have a crazy response and there's like just tons of follicles, at that point we say, mm, can't do it. Sorry. Okay, okay. So, yeah, so we'll okay, so I got on the clomid and I came back a week later. This is your uterus right here. Mm-hmm. It's perfectly appropriate. And this is the lining on the inside part of the uterus. It looks thin. It does look a little thin. We're going to measure it. And sometimes after Clomid, it is a little thin. Oh. And what we do when that's the case is we give you some estrogen pills to counteract Mm -hmm. that. Why do we care about the uterine lining? Because it needs to be a certain thickness in order for the embryo to implant successfully. Uh Aha, look at that. Beautiful follicle. Another beautiful follicle. And maybe a third. I want you to have one baby at a time. Yes. But by having more than one follicle... We're increasing the chance of one of them fertilizes. Right. We also have to accept the risk for more than one fertilizing. Right. So how does the body decide which... It, it'll release more than one probably, 8. right? 8.5. Yeah. I mean, they're kind of all off to the races. Okay. And if they are big enough, when the brain sends a signal to ovulate, uh-huh. then they will release. Wow, Ma, you're doing... You're younger than you. Uh, your ovaries are, are doing good. So right now, there are... Um, a 14 millimeter, 12 and a half, and an eight and a half on the right, and a 15 and an 11 on the left. So based on this, there are four follicles which are potentially going to be big enough to respond to that surge. That means potential for four eggs. In all likelihood, in all likelihood, I'm thinking it's going to be probably two or three that release. Mm-hmm. The chance for you to have twins with mm-hmm. clomid is pretty small. Maybe about. Eight percent of pregnancies. Mm-hmm. How old are you? Forty. 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 <laughs> so the chance is lower with you okay. than say a thirty-five-year-old woman. Okay. Like okay. The chance for triplets is exceedingly small. It occurs in less than one percent of cases. Okay. It's not zero. Okay. It could happen. Okay. What size does a follicle need to be when for the to brain ovulate. to say go for it? To ovulate, yeah. There's no specific size, uh-huh. but in general, we think follicles are sort of like the 16 to 22 millimeter range uh-huh. once they're going to release a mature egg. Mm-hmm. So, and so what do I do now? Do I come back every day or every other day? When do I come back? <gasps> Am so I going to miss gonna, it? No, no, no. So you're going to start doing ovulation kits. Okay. Or you can do one today. Okay. I expect the earliest to be positive would probably be on Thursday. Uh-huh. If I see a darker second line... Call. When do we when do we do it? Generally the next day. Okay. Possibly that day. Yeah. Depending on what time of day. What time happens. of day? What's happen, what day of the week? Yeah. What else is happening? All these kinds. Of, okay. Um, so why don't you do that? But if there's nothing by Friday morning, then we'll have you come back in so we can check it out and kind of make a plan. Okay. All okay. Right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And estrogen or no no estrogen? And estrogen, yes. Okay. So you're gonna start taking estrogen two milligrams twice per day. Okay. So tonight and then tomorrow morning. I went home, and the very next morning, I got my peak on my ovulation kit. So, here I am, back at Dr. Kalen's office, for my IUI. That morning, the lab had thawed my guy's sperm, washed it, and did a sperm count. There were 115 million sperm per milliliter. Motility was at 45%, which is good. And that gave us a total of 15 million modal sperm in my little tiny half-milliliter sample. 
First, he checked my uterine lining. You've been taking the estrogen, yes? Yeah, but it doesn't look like it's made oh, much thicker. It's better. My uterine lining was only at 6.5, and a couple days earlier, it was only at 6.2. They want it to be at about 7. Technically, 7 is kind of the magic number, but we think mm -hmm. 6.5 or higher is pretty good. You've not yet ovulated, so that's good. So there's okay. one nice one there, and two. You got a really nice response. So there's two there, and one there. One and a half. It's really this one. They all look big to me. Then he started the insemination, and while he was in there, I asked him if we should do another vial tomorrow, too, for good measure. In all honesty, I was worried that we were too early, that the sperm would be in there and all die before my egg was even released. At first, he said there was no reason to do that, but then he came around. I don't normally do it, but it's an interesting prospect. Let's do it. Let's do it. I think the risk-benefit is leaning towards benefit. I think so, too. Let's do it. All right, there we have it. You did it? I did it. Done. Done and done. Wow. Do you feel pregnant? No. <laughs> I really thought about it, though. Thanks, good. <laughs> then they tilted the whole table so my hips were up in the air. Cool. I'm upside down. <laughs> this is what I was doing in my house. Yeah. But it was much more awkward. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, so you're going to hang out here for about 10 minutes. Okay. That was it. I came back the next morning for my second vial, and it's a good thing I did because I still hadn't ovulated yet, and my uterine lining was still 6.9, still short of 7 millimeters. And so when, when is the most ideal time to do it? Should I have ovulated, or should I not? So, is it so too late if I've already ovulated? You, so either one can work. Um, we traditionally have thought that the sperm waiting for the egg is kind of the ideal situation. Mm -hmm. So that would be before ovulation. Mm -hmm. uh, if it's shortly after ovulation, the sperm can get there before the egg. But we really don't want the... The egg is moving target. So once it's in the tube, it's moving through. And there's some point in the tube at which, as it's moving towards the uterus, at which it will no longer fertilize. So, oh. yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, like, if sperm and the egg meet in the uterus, oh. it's not fertilizing. I didn't know that yeah. Yeah. Okay. So that's why we want, so yeah. it could be after ovulation, but probably not much after Yeah, ovulation. yeah, yeah. And then he put the sperm in. I think that we're like well-timed. I think that there is good sperm. This is this is good, this is how we want it to be. Okay. So we shall see. Pregnancy test will be in two weeks. Mm -hmm. You do a, do a home pregnancy test and call me the results. Okay. And then the old familiar two-week wait. That night I wrote in my diary. <laughs> I don't have a diary, it's a journal that I bought specifically for this. <laughs> Had my first IUI this morning. Easy breezy, now I just have to wait. Thinking about it all day today, on and off. I'm happy, I guess, because I'm back on the road again, hopeful again, something to root for. But the reality is with me too, that it's only slightly more effective with IUI. So I have to be careful not to get too excited because in two weeks I could easily get that negative test. There was a month or two, January and February, where I started to enjoy the two-week wait, two weeks where I got to maybe be pregnant. But now it's harder to be so at peace because each month I'll spend $2,500. But I guess I'll have to cross that bridge when I come to it. Two weeks later, this conversation with my mom. It was more like, you know, probably like eight days later, actually. When are you going to get or not get your period? Oh, <laughs> I would be, time. should be due Friday for my period. That's what I thought. That's so what I, thought. I could test right now. 
but I'm do not it. doing it. No way. It's not even too close. scary, and I would rather not know. I don't fucking, like, I... No. Honestly, Mom, this is... <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Did you see my face just like yeah, I just that saw. was I felt my face contorting just I now. Oh. I'm like so I just want a baby. I know, Molly, I know. And I'm so scared to take the test I don't want to. Well, why don't you you know I I've had a couple of therapists in the past who've told me just imagine the worst scenario, which is the possibility that you're not pregnant and then imagine yourself reacting to it at that moment and you know be in it for a moment and then it's much easier to handle it if it happens maybe you'll be pregnant on saturday and maybe you won't be and you're also a very logical person and you know okay if you get your period the next thought in your head is okay okay time to do this here we go here we go again. Yeah, I know. I'm, I'm, I know I'm, I'll be fine. It's you're just, great. I'm, I'm you're, just, you're so great. I've just never wanted it so badly. That's I all. know. And it's going to happen, Mo. You know that. I know. You're I know. so going to make it happen. And, and I will help you in any way I can. Here's what I wrote the night before taking my pregnancy test. Tomorrow morning, when I wake up, I'm going to take a pregnancy test. I haven't had any spotting, no sign of blood, which I usually do leading up to my actual period, but who knows? I'm not scared of not being pregnant, because I know that I will be pregnant soon, that it's only a matter of time, that it is my destiny. Not the kind of language I would normally use, but that's how I feel. I was born to be a mom. I'm kind of shocked that I spent so much of my life acting irresponsibly, being pulled so strongly by a lifestyle so impossibly inconducive to having children. Drinking, sleeping little, always working on creative endeavors with no care for money or the future or planning. I left it all up to whether or not a man came around. I was waiting for him to come along and fix me and unlock my dreams, and now they're coming true because of me. Oh, but back to what I was saying earlier. What I'm scared of is the shame and embarrassment I will probably feel about every single tiny hopeful feeling or thought that crossed my mind during this two-week wait. I tried hard to be positive, but not too positive. To be hopeful, but not to get my hopes up. To brush it off if I felt bloated or if I dreamed of a little girl. To ignore that I don't have any spotting and that I don't feel like my period's coming. Tomorrow, if my test is negative, these positive thoughts will haunt me. And if I'm being honest with myself, and this is the scariest thing to write down because I don't want to be wrong, I think I am pregnant. Boy, am I going to regret writing that if I have a negative test tomorrow. Shame and embarrassment and guilt for jinxing myself. I hope I'm pregnant. I want to be pregnant. I think I'm pregnant. My hopes are up. It's official. Oh well. I hope I'm pregnant. If I'm not, I'll be okay. And I'll try again in two weeks. And one day soon, pregnant I shall be. Well, the next morning I took a pregnancy test and it was negative. Hell yeah! A couple days later, on June 7th, I started my second IUI on day three of my period. But here's something that sucked. I didn't have that many follicles this month. Last month, nine follicles on each side. This time, three on my right side and six on my left. What did that Clomid fucking do to me? To distract me, Dr. Kalen played the sound of my internal iliac artery and vein, which was fun. This Wow. Yeah, that's the artery. Wow. Her vein should sound different. Wow. 
Whoa. So you can get the pulse out of the artery, but not the vein. The vein just kind of flows through. Wow. Yeah, okay. So we went back to the doctor's office and we talked about what to do next. He said that we should try a different drug this month rather than Clomid to try to stimulate the follicle growth. Letrozole. Because last month the Clomid thinned my uterine lining too much. I liked this idea. I started the Letrozole and came back exactly one week later to check on my follicles. The two lead follicles were 10 and 10 and a half millimeters. Based on those sizes, he predicted that I wouldn't ovulate till Thursday the next week. So I want you to start your ovulation kits as, as we agreed on Monday. Mm -hmm. And then I want you to come back on Thursday. Okay. Unless I get the long. Unless you get it before that, right. Right. I don't think you will. Just based on the size of these. I mean, eh, it could be Wednesday, but I bet you it's more like Thursday. And based on the size of these, I said, I want you to come on Wednesday. Oh. Come on Wednesday. Okay. Have you come on Wednesday. And then based on the side, we can decide on when we're going to give you that trigger shot. Okay. All right. And then we want to do back to back. Okay. But guess what, everybody? I got my peak on my ovulation tests on Monday. So on Tuesday morning, I went in for an ultrasound with Dr. Winkler. Because Dr. Kalen was out of town on vacation. I knew he would be. Don't worry. Here's Dr. Winkler. Great, and it looked like you, based on the lining, you haven't ovulated yet, so it's 9.8. Again. And... Did you hear that? My lining was 9.8. So much better than last month when it was 6.5 and 6.9. your ovary on the left. That looked like you have a collapsing follicle on the left, which means ovulation is happening or just happened. Okay. So are we when did the ovulation kit uh, was positive yesterday? Yeah. Excellent. So we're good. But we have to do it today and we don't need to do it tomorrow. Okay. Based on that. Anything on the right? No, just a lot of eggs. So you have one, two, three, four, five, five eggs on the right. And on the left you have one, two. Are we too three. late? No, I don't think so. Four, five. Because if the ovulation kit was positive yesterday, it means that yesterday you haven't ovulated yet. What was the last time you checked it? Or today, and it was it was fading. Okay, so that's why you were actually in perfect timing. Okay. Because it was positive yesterday, fainting today. Ovulation probably, I would estimate, happened, you know, somewhere between 7 to 8 o'clock to this morning. So okay. we're still in good timing. Great. Okay. Awesome. Okay. So, we'll have you good so she sent me to the lobby to wait while they washed the sperm. Okay, and how long awesome. do you think that takes? Um, like, should I go get an oil change? Or? No, 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 just okay. stay here. It should be pretty quick. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Sure, absolutely. So while in the waiting room, I wrote a Patreon update. Emotionally, I've had a rough week and a half. What's going on? Well, since Spermcast is going to be on the Erios network, I needed to make a trailer for the launch, but making the trailer required me to sift through all of my previous episodes looking for the perfect clips to put in the trailer. I mean, I guess it wasn't required. I could have simply summarized my experience and then told people what they could expect from the next season, but I'm obsessive and I needed it to be perfect. So I listened to 47 fucking episodes and relived the last year of my life. It fucked me up. I became very, very emotional. I was also on letrozole to help me release more eggs, so I'm sure that contributed. And on top of the emotions, I had a lot of deadlines and commitments last week. And by Friday, well, I started having anxiety. Or something in the anxiety family. I came out of a weird audition feeling strange. Like a manic ball of energy. Like I needed to eat or shoot a gun at a target, not a human. Or have sex with a human, not a target. Or smack someone, myself, in the face. But I wasn't anxious, just insatiably rageful and or ecstatic. 
or something. Like that yucky body feeling when you've had too much coffee and there's not much you can do except wait for it to wear off. My body was vibrating, but I wasn't necessarily anxious about it. Yet. The anxiety didn't come until I started framing these physical feelings in my old familiar vocabulary. Anxiety. Panic. Oh shit, I'm going crazy. Am I going crazy? What is life? And why? Now this part wasn't in my Patreon update, but that night, the night of the anxiety, I wrote this in my journal. Or diary. Or whatever you want to call it. So, this evening I started to feel those inexplicable feelings that lead to panic. Moments of feeling painful insatiability and urge for something but what? I reached out and went to Annika's and we ate and it was great to be with a friend and talk, but the more I sat there on her couch, the crazier I started to feel. An almost disconnected parallel universe where I imagine this disastrous future is coming. Like I'm crazy and I'm going to be like this for the rest of my life. Just flashes of these feelings, but it's worrisome they exist. I feel like the San Andreas Fault. What is that about? That's creepy. Why do I feel like the San Andreas Fault? Okay, so back to what I wrote on Patreon. So now I'm sitting in the lobby waiting for the lab to thaw one vial of sperm. I'm anxious, but not about the sperm or the IUI. I'm not at all anxious about getting pregnant. I'm anxious about not getting pregnant. I'm tired of all this, folks. I'm so over it. At this point, all I want is to have my baby, make jams, dehydrate fruit, learn and preach about zero-waste living, work at a farmer's market, pickle eggs, raise a goat, crochet, play guitar, and never talk to anyone in the entertainment industry again. Lily, the wonderful receptionist here at LA Reproductive Center, just told me my sperm is on its way up, so I better wrap this up. Point is, I'm going through some stuff, but I'll be alright. Bye, love you, party time. Okay, time for my insemination with Dr. Winkler. Uh -huh. So, all done. Oh. I'm gonna take it out. I felt that one. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, it's okay, it's totally Maybe it's a okay. Good sign. Maybe it is. Because <laughs> I also felt crampy on my left side. Was it on my left side, the, the yes. follicle? Yes. But I never, I don't normally feel. You know, it's almost like I feel it's we're almost in perfect timing because we usually want to get it before you ovulate mm -hmm. or exactly when ovulation happens. It's just that you you very hard to aim it exactly when ovulation happens. Yeah. But in your case, this is what's going on. Then she yeah. did another ultrasound to show me what the sperm looked like inside of me. It was pretty amazing. Oh, it's so awesome. Look. Kind of oh, yeah. And you can see the sperm that already was placed all, I mean, swam all the way here. Not swam, but we injected it. Right. So the nice shiny area, excellent. Yay. Went very well. We'll have you stay here for 15 minutes. Great nap time. And just come back pregnant. Thank you, I will. I'll make sure of it. Yeah. Dr. Kalen said if I get pregnant, he's gonna take half the credit. No giving it. No. <laughs> <laughs> nice Bye, thank you. And then my most recent two week wait. Now, I don't have anything recorded here, so I'm just going to read you a couple verses from my little journal Bible. Oh, and by the way, for you new listeners, this isn't a typical episode. I don't normally sit here reading from my journal. I usually have interviews. But hey, whatever. 6-19-19. I'm feeling significantly better today. I do feel like I just really fucked myself up listening to Spermcast and reliving every last experience. I mean, who gets to do that in their actual life? No one puts their soul out there for the whole world to hear on a weekly basis and then has a perfect, true record of every feeling they experienced. Yeah, people keep diaries and maybe some voice memos, but I think this may be a very unique experience where I relived every painful moment. I think I'm also relieved to have done another IUI. Like I said yesterday, I'm not afraid of being pregnant. I'm afraid of failing or being stuck in this journey forever. 
623.19. Mom seems to think I need to write more about my fertility stuff in this journal, but I'm trying not to focus on that stuff right now. The first three times I tried, I thought everything was a symptom, and I was obsessed and very disappointed. When I actually got pregnant, I had no symptoms, and I was totally shocked. Listen to me. Everything is a symptom. You could literally look up any ailment on the internet and find a group chat online full of women who experience that symptom right before their successful pregnancy. It's all bull and everyone's different and honestly, time spent trying to guess, at least for me, was wasted time. I'm not saying not to be hopeful and think welcoming thoughts for your baby, but for me, waiting and pondering makes me nuts and every symptom that happens to me feels like a jinx the second I label it a symptom. Well then... 62619. I'm happy I'm not thinking about whether or not I'm pregnant. I will start testing on Friday morning. Not looking forward to it, but also looking forward to it. 62819. Drove to Palm Springs today and geeked out on Ani DeFranco and the Indigo Girls. So great. <laughs> Look, if you're not an Indigo Girls fan or an Ani DeFranco fan, I mean, what are you doing with your life? You know what? I'm going to make a playlist and put it on my Patreon. Because some of these songs are the fucking best. Okay, back to this journal shit. Okay, I drove to Palm Springs, geeked out on Ani DeFranco and the Indigo Girls, so great, had the best drive. Do I test in the morning or not? Probably should. It'll be inconclusive, but maybe it'll help temper my expectations so I'm prepared for a negative on Monday. But if it's negative tomorrow morning, will I have a bad day? I think I should take it, maybe with a friend. Nah, I think alone. 629.19. And that's where I'm going to leave you, everybody. I know, I promised to catch you up on real time, but this is almost real time. This is just a week ago. And this way, I get to trap you into tuning in next week to find out if I have a bun in the oven. Woohoo! It's going to be a great episode. Amanda and I are interviewing Amy Phillips. She's an incredible impersonator. She's got her own show on Sirius XM. It's called Reality Checked with Amy Phillips. It's a daily show, and she has been through the ringer when it comes to baby making. So tune in next week to hear her inspirational story and to hear the results of my pregnancy test. Have you subscribed yet? Then do it now. Have you shared this with any of your friends yet? Share it now. I guarantee you, you have friends that are struggling with the question of having babies or not having babies or struggling with fertility stuff, and you don't even know it. Or maybe you do know it. I don't know you. Do I? I don't know. Let me know. Oh, you know what I just remembered? If you become a patron at patreon.com forward slash spermcast, you will not only have access to all kinds of extra content, you will also be able to find out if I'm pregnant now. You don't have to wait until next week. But whatever, maybe it's not that big of a deal to you. Anyway, thank you so much to Dr. Kalen, Scott at California Cryobank, Angelo at Seattle Sperm Bank, Charlotte for helping me make that decision, my mom, um, who else was in that episode? I can't remember, my brain is fried. Hey, you, did you know that you can follow me on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Spermcast? Yeah, it's pretty cool. You know what else you can do? You can email me at spermcast at gmail.com, or you can leave me a message or text me at 323-741-1818. I can't remember how to end episodes, so I'm just going to leave it here. Goodbye. I love you. He could be bald and bearded, shorter or tall, funny, smart, love basketball, from gay to straight, black to white. Production. 
powered by ACAST. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.